Good evening. Welcome back to our Sunday night study. If you're new to Sunday night study, basically uh, the general practice is to take a little bit of what we talk about Sunday morning and uh, go a little farther down the rabbit trail, so to speak, uh, for Sunday night. Do a little more study and thought about uh, the topic or the text at hand. This morning we were in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verses uh, 28 through 31. And I wanted to talk a little bit more in depth about the purpose of suffering. From an outside perspective, it seems to be the Achilles heel of Christianity. And you know, I mean, if you've ever been around a thoughtful, intelligent person who is not a person of faith, uh, when something bad happens when some unexplainable tragedy, either on a massive scale or on a personal scale, um, sometimes they will ask the question out of mockery, sometimes out of genuine curiosity. But the question will come, why do good things, I'm sorry, (laughs) why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, if God is so good and loving Caring, why? Why would he allow you, as one of his children, to, to suffer? Doesn't seem right, doesn't seem just, doesn't seem fair. God seems a little capricious, a little insensitive, uncaring. Well, how do you answer that? How do you happen to answer when the bad things of life happen? To good people. Well, tonight I, I want to delve into that matter a little bit and talk a little bit. Maybe this is not the right answer for your hypothetical conversation, but I want us to think a little more in depth about the value and the purpose of suffering. So, if you follow along with me, go back to Second Corinthians, which is we were there in in part this morning, as we echoed some of the promises uh, that Isaiah referred us to. We echoed these in the, the New Testament, but there was a part that we didn't get to, and I wanted to use that as our starting point for tonight. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And here, uh, Paul gets a little more personal about his suffering. So, see if you can identify For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Paul doesn't sugarcoat it. Sometimes we as people of faith kind of try to sugarcoat things uh, with trite sayings or cliches like, well, well, God will never give you more than he can handle, more than you can handle. And, uh, and that's, of course, a lie. That's not true. It sounds scriptural. It sounds biblical. It's close to another scripture which says God will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to get to bear, but 
In terms of being given what you can handle, giving more or less than that, Paul would say, ah, uh, no, I was given more than I, than I bargained for here. I was given more than I realized was a part of the deal. I was given way more. I mean, I, no doubt Paul, with his history and background, knew that there would come some suffering, some persecution, some ridicule, some mockery for being a Christian. He was a part of that before he became one. But do you think he had any idea that when Jesus said, this man is my chosen instrument? And you think when the Lord Jesus calls someone chosen, that that means they're exceptionally blessed. That, you know, God's going to clear the path and make the way straight and, and not going to have to, to do any suffering. But Paul, as Jesus' chosen instrument, did a whole lot of suffering. For the Gospels, that a whole lot of suffering to take the Gospel to the Gentiles. That a whole lot of suffering that he didn't deserve or sign up for or expect. And he says, we were so utterly, the ESV, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And that the translation in our modern is, we were ready to hang it up. We were ready to throw in the towel. We despaired of life itself. I love scripture. That when you, when you really look at what scripture says, it's so real and raw, not only about the goodness and love and power of God, but also about the realities of the, the feelings and the thoughts and the emotions of the characters that God used. It's so very real. And Paul says we were just, it was beyond us. It was beyond our strength. It was beyond our ability to the point that we just were ready to give up. I don't know if you've been there as a Christian, but if you've been to the point where you despaired of life, when you're ready to give up, before you do, can I remind you that you're in good company? That you, along with many others, have gotten more than you could handle. Well, why would God do that? Paul says, indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. Well, (laughs) we can say a couple of things about sufferings and burdens that you've heard before, but they're worth reviewing. Um, Turn to James chapter 1. James starts out this very short and practical letter to Christians of all ages, and he says something so discongruent with what we expect that it it almost shocks you. I think the first time I read James, I was a teenager, and I had to go back and reread it to make sure I read the thing correctly. Count it all joy, my brothers, he says, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, to go along with our theme for the year. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect 
and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. James says that, that your burdens, that your sufferings, that your trials, whatever they are, and however long they last, and whatever depth they go, and however far in despair you get as a result of them, they're producing something in you. He says, steadfastness. Uh, the idea here being a maturity. Um, people of immature faith are, are all enthusiastic until it gets a little hard. And then they give up. Uh, they're gung-ho until they get the feelings hurt, and then they, they go church shopping. They're, they're all excited until you know, whatever trial befalls them. And then, oh, God has utterly let them down. That's immaturity. Okay. But, for a Christian, if you will push through, if you'll bear up under the load that God has given you to bear, it, it, and we'll talk a little more about how to do that, but, if, it, but if, you will, if you work through the trials, the testing, it will produce in you a better version of you than you were before the test. <laughs> I've been a part of the church you know, three-fourths of my life. And I've often stood in awe at Christians who are older than me for their wisdom, for their maturity, for their thoughtfulness, for their faithfulness, for their love, for their joy, on and on. And I've often thought, how did they do that? I'm going to read my Bible a little more, pray a little more. And, and certainly that's part of it, but I think even more than that, nine times out of ten, the, the Christians that you admire in their faith, the, the people that are your mentors in the spiritual family of God, are who they are because of the trials that they went through and they did not give up. James says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect. The idea here is not perfect in terms of moral perfection, but perfect in terms of maturity and complete, lacking in nothing. See, these are the things, these are the blessings that we gain from our trials, that our burdens really, in the great perspective of it, uh, our burdens are a blessing. We don't think of them that way when they initially come our way. Uh, we worry and we stew and we wonder and we question. But when we look backward, the times of greatest maturity, the times of deepest faith came through the darkest and deepest valleys. Paul says this in Romans 5. Through him we have also obtained, I'm sorry, verse 2 of Romans 5. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of Christianity, the glory of it. And he says, but not only that, we're not just looking to some futuristic promise of glory and being free from pain and trials and all of the promises of revelation. That's great. But he says, not only that, 
But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. He said it's not just the the future hope, it's the present reality that in your sufferings you can rejoice not for the sufferings themselves but for what the suffering produces. And I hear again, I point to the most mature Christian you know whoever that may be. And I bet that you see in them endurance, character, hope. So, our burdens are really meant for our blessing. And so we can realize that. Secondly, we can understand that our suffering gives us a proper perspective. Romans chapter 8, in the midst of that great chapter, he, speaking of future glory, writes about these same present sufferings. Romans 8 verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, to us. Let's take a hypothetical here. Let's say that a person chooses to follow Christ at a very young age, 11, 12, somewhere in there, and they they choose to Yes, I believe in Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I want to put him on in baptism, obey the gospel. And so they do. And let's, let's just hypothetically pretend that the day, the day they step out of the water, from that point to the rest of their 80 years on earth, is nothing but unexplainable unimaginable tragedy, suffering, and heartache. This this poor guy is an Eeyore. He he gets every rain cloud that comes along. On the way home from being baptized is in a horrific car accident that leaves him with a limp for the rest of his life. That limp leaves him unable to, to work productively, to earn a substantial income, so most of his life he lives in poverty. He's mangled from the car wreck, so he has some scars that leave him disfigured, so he's, he's not attractive, so he never marries, he never has children or grandchildren. He, he lives a life of singleness and, and, and near poverty his whole life. He, he, he has uh, illnesses of the body, sicknesses that require him to be in the hospital again and again and again to the point where it breaks him. It leaves him destitute. He is, he, is, he is completely dependent upon the state. And he lives most of his life in the, in the hospital going from doctor to doctor. Very few of them want to see him because he's on the government system. Nobody wants to give him the time. 
Nobody wants to give him the answers. He spends all of his life like that. Can you imagine the sufferings? And I just tried to dream up a real bad hypothetical. But he stays faithful to Christ his entire life. He worships. He's in the Word. He's prayerful. Nothing changes. Nothing in this world. It's it's, it's a hard, rocky path for his whole life. When he dies, hardly anyone shows up to his funeral. A preacher that he doesn't even know preaches a service. And he is buried unceremoniously in this world. And yet, he's faithful to Jesus. One second into eternity. Completely makes up for 80 plus of the hardest years you can imagine. And when he gets to glory, when he gets to the reward, when he comes into the presence of the Lord, much like the, the beggar in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, I think it's going to be so good that I don't think he's going to spend a single millisecond belaboring all of the things he went through with his Lord. I think it's going to be so overwhelmingly, exceedingly joyful and grateful to, to be in the presence of the Lord. And then for a single second, that one second will make up for all of the sufferings that he's experienced. This is what Paul says. The sufferings of the present are just not worth comparing. They're not even in the same ballpark. When you speak of the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul experienced the glory. (laughs) He was caught up to the third heaven. Or a man in Christ. When he experienced that glory. When he experienced those things that man is not permitted to speak about. You think that gave him a whole different perspective on any sort of suffering or hardship that he would ever face after that moment? When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. All who labor and are heavy laden, the ESV says. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. What does he say? For the body? No. For your emotional troubles? No. He says you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus in this moment is not promising an easy path for those who choose to take his yoke upon him. In fact, he said, you're going to 
have all sorts of sufferings in this world. In this world, you will have trouble is one of Jesus' greatest understatements in John 16, What does he say? Take heart. For I've overcome the world. Jesus never promises to take away our pain. He never promises to ease the suffering through which we go through in this world. What he says is, you will find rest for your souls. You can take heart because he's overcome the world. And you will as well if you will remain faithful to him. So your burdens are really your blessing. Your sufferings give you a greater, more eternal perspective. And the pain that you experience, God will use for his purposes. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, which is just a spiritual gut punch to us resilient, independent, type A type of people. Paul was probably that way too, but he says, we face this so that we might learn, you're not going to get through this relying on yourself. But on God, who raises the dead. Just sort of as an afterthought, a footnote there. That this God that you rely on is the same God who raised the dead. And who raises the dead. You relying on yourself these days? It's easy, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy temptation when you're going through hardship. You've got to figure it out. You need the right answers. If you just get enough information, you can figure it out. You can just brain your way through it. And you can try relying on yourself. But Paul points us to the fact that the best way to our sufferings is not to rely on ourselves. I don't know about you, this is Sunday Night Crowd. You are a hundred times more holy than I am. So maybe your experience is different. But I am zero for zero in raising the dead. Now, I've had a, a good sermon every now and again, and you might argue that's the case, but that, that's as close as I've come. I've never done that. I'm guessing none of you have either. You see, when you rely on yourself, you rely on someone who has no experience, relatively speaking, very little wisdom, relatively speaking, very little understanding and limited perspective. And you've never raised a single person from the dead. But when you rely on God, you have someone of unlimited wisdom, infinite strength, inexhaustible love. And he's got a pretty good track record on raising the dead. So if it were me, 
I go all in with the guy who raises the dead. He delivered us, Paul goes on, from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Note the the change in tense there. He has delivered us, and he will deliver us. If you're going through a valley, a really good posture to take is to pause and look backwards. And take stock and take account carefully as you track your footsteps with God. And look how many times he has seen you through it and carried you through. Paul says he has delivered. And so as we turn back around, we're reminded that he will deliver. How? Well, that's up to him. Some deliverances have been miraculous. Some have been mundane. Sometimes the person walking with God died. And you say, how did God deliver them? How did God deliver them? They left. The world of suffering and heartache and trials and tribulation and suffering to a place where none of that is. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. And so Paul says, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Reminding us, number one, remember where your reliance is. And number two, remember the power of his unfading promise. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. By our power? No. Only by his, and that's what Paul says, to him. Be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So may we not forget that God will give you more than you can handle. Maybe once, maybe many times throughout your life and your walk with him. But he will never, ever give you more than he can handle. And so when you come to the place where you're despairing even of life, remember that your burdens are your blessing, that your suffering gives you an eternal perspective, and that your pain is for a purpose. Number one, to remind you who you rely upon. Not yourself, but on a God who raises the dead. 
And number two, to remind you of the eternal, unstoppable power of his promise. That after you've suffered for a little while, God will redeem you. Maybe that's the purpose in our pain, and maybe that's the reminder in our sufferings. Let's pray together. Father God, you are good. You are good in the peaks. You are good in the valleys. Father, you are strong. You are strong even when we don't rely on you and we learn to experience your strength when we do. Father, as a people, there have been times when we have gone through sufferings and pain and hardship and trial. And we've questioned you. We've, we've doubted you. We've been angry at you. Thank you for being gentle enough to forgive us for those times. For our lack of limited understanding. And Father, through those times, as we go through them, either now or tomorrow or in the days to come, may we learn through them, may we be formed through them, may we be matured through them. May our reliance upon you grow even deeper, may our faith in you grow ever stronger. And so because these are the things which tend to happen in our times of suffering. We thank you, even for the sufferings. For you're good enough to redeem even the hardest times of life, to comfort us through the most unimaginable. Father, our Understanding is certainly limited, but we are grateful for your word and your spirit, which brings greater understanding, though not full understanding. We put our full reliance in you. For there our hope lies, and there is where glory, a glory that is not even worth comparing to the present sufferings of today, that glory will be revealed. And that glory is possible through your Son and our Savior. It's through his name we humbly offer this prayer. Amen.